Welcome to Through the Bible for our final lesson in the book of Proverbs. I'm Steve Schwetz, inviting you to turn to chapter 30 as Dr. J. Vernon McGee starts with this introduction. Now, when we get to the last chapter, chapter 31, we'll find that it's a mother's instruction to a son. We believe it's Bathsheba's instruction to her boy, Solomon. And it reveals the type of a woman you should seek for a wife. It was very interesting that Matthew Henry, who probably wrote the driest commentary that's ever been written, it is dry. When he was in Oxford, he met a girl of the nobility, and they fell in love with each other. And she went to talk to her father about it. And her father said, Who is this Matthew Henry? Who ever heard of him? Nobody ever heard of him, and he will never make a name for himself. So he wanted her to give him up. And he said to her, says, where did he come from? What's his background? And she answered. She had a lot of spunk, by the way. She said, well, Father, I don't know where he come from, but I know where he's going, and I want to go with him, and I'm going with him. And she did. And Matthew Henry wrote about the gift of Eve to Adam, about the nicest thing that's ever been written. He said that God took Eve from the side of Adam, not from his foot to be his menial, our slave, our servant, not from his head to be his mental superior, and did take him from that which is nearest his heart, that he might love her, and that which is under his arm, that he might protect her. May I say to you, it took a man that knew a little about romance to write that about a woman. And now we're going to see Solomon's mother giving him advice about the kind of wife he ought to have. And I don't know whether that man ever found that kind of a wife or not. But it's a great section. As far as I know, it's never used in these seminars on marriage. I don't know why they center on Ephesians and they always want to make the woman the servant of the man. I think young preachers enjoy doing that, but when you get a little older, you'll find out that that's not the way to go, and that's not really what the Scripture teaches at all. But the seminars go on and on and on, and they're making quite a few men rich and some famous. And, brethren, these things ought not to be. But that's the way they are today. Now, there has been something else, been very wonderful here in Proverbs, and I think I should call attention to it. It's God's method of teaching, beginning with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And let me close this part with this quotation that comes from Paul Harvey, who's a media journalist. He said, the greatest threat to America is not communist aggression, nuclear warfare, nor oil embargo. The greatest threat is a public education system that has abandoned principles on which America was founded. If sex education can be objective and value-free, then it follows that sex experimentation will soon be a required lab course. 
Christian education assures that a child will learn to view from God's perspective. The most a public school system can promise is that a graduate can read at the ninth grade level. The largest single group of parents who send their children to a Christian school are public school educators. Now, it's well to keep in mind the kind of education that God designed. You find it in the book of Proverbs. And I suggest it as good reading today. For those who are interested in education, those who are parents, and those who are young people, this is a book on education. And I could wish that it could be put in the hands of every educator in this country, but that's hoping for too much, I know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, strengthen us with the wisdom and grace of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're off to Proverbs 30 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now today we come back in our study here in the book of Proverbs to the 30th chapter, and we put in at verse 20, actually. I'll move rather rapidly through this section. It says, "...such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth, and saith, I have done no wickedness." Now we're living in a day when this actually has come to pass, that there are those living in sin... And they'll argue with you that they are not living in sin. I understand one child born out of wedlock was given a name that I'm not sure just what it was, but it meant purity. And it meant the little child was pure. Well, to begin with, the child has a sinful nature. I don't care if they've been married a half a dozen times to each other and how many ceremonies they'd have. But there's one thing for sure that it is to try to say, that adultery is not a sin. God still says it's a sin, and he hasn't changed his mind. He didn't learn anything from this generation. And more and more, as I see the sin about me, I'm convinced that God didn't need to learn anything from this generation. He already knew all about them, wrote about them here. Now, verse 21, "...for three things the earth is disquieted, and for four which it cannot bear." For a servant when he reigneth. That's Jeroboam. He was a servant, became the first king in the northern kingdom. And a fool when he's filled with meat. And that was that rich fool that built bigger barns, and then he was eating gourmet, of course, with barns like that. But he was a fool, and he was filled with meat. And then the third thing, for an odious woman when she's married. And a great deal could be said about that, but I've said, I guess, too much already. And a handmaid that is heir to her mistress. That is, sometimes a poor person, very poor, been walked on, suddenly becomes rich. There's no one that is as overbearing as a person like that. Now, we come to the zoo. We're going to visit. There be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. Now, God says we can learn from the animal world. And there's some very interesting animals. The first are little folk, just little bitty animals. 
In fact, first is a name. And there are two groups here. The first group shows the way to God for the sinner and these little ones. And then the second group, the walk of the saint before God. Now, notice it says here in verse 24, "...there be four things which are little upon the earth, but they're exceeding wise." Verse 25, "...the ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer." I was noticing here the other day a red ant hill. I hadn't noticed one here in California. I used to see them constantly in Texas, and I didn't realize they had been able to get to California, but they've come out here also. I guess they like the climate. And there was quite an ant hill. And as I looked at it, I thought of this proverb here, the ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. Now, they're wise, and we can learn from them. And we've already had something about the ant back in Proverbs 6, 6. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider a ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. Now, ants do gather grain. They do it in Texas and they do it in Palestine. I've seen one of these little ants carrying a grain of wheat or oats bigger than the ant but was carrying it right along. We hear the expression, busy as an ant, or busy as a bee. And what are they doing? Well, they store up and stash away foods during brief and bright days of harvest. And the very interesting thing is the ant is an example to us of wisdom in preparing for the future and material things. Somebody says Christians ought not to have insurance and they ought to trust the Lord. My friend, I think you ought to have social security since it's available. You ought to have insurance. You ought to save your money. You ought to buy a home. Sure, make a will. Provide for your loved ones for the future. Certainly you ought to do this. If you don't believe it, go look at the little ain't. He's taking out insurance on all those things. But it also has another message. There are so many people make no arrangements beyond death. Oh, they even go to the undertaker and arrange for that. You heard about the undertaker that had a layaway plan, pay now and go later. He had reversed it, of course, and maybe you ought to do that. I've never felt like I should go quite that far. But the thing is, what about after death? Only for a few fleeting moments of time are we here, and there's no preparation for the endless ages of eternity. Care for the physical body and neglect of the soul. It's said that that wicked emperor of Rome by name of Hadrian, when he was dying, he made this statement. He says, no more crown for this head, no more beauty for these eyes, no more music for these ears, and no more food for this stomach of mine. But my soul, oh, my soul, what's to become of you? And it's so sure, it's appointed unto a man once to die and after death the judgment. And you can live for this life only, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. You can build bigger barns. But my friend, there's a day coming, and God says, flee from the wrath to come. Prepare to meet thy God and while it's called today. Now, that's the first little insect we visit. And now the second, verse 26, the conus are but a feeble folk, yet make their houses in the rock. Now, the conies actually are not the rabbit. 
The biological name is Hyrax syracus. They have long hair, short tail, round ears. They are feeble and defenseless. They're not able to burrow in the ground. Very frankly, they're poor, they're helpless little creature, and they're said to be very unclean. And they hide in rocks, and they find there a place of safety. And man, look at that little animal and learn something. We're poor, we're helpless, we're unclean sinners. And we need to recognize our pitiful plight. But we can flee to the rock, and we're told that. Oh, then to the rock let me fly. That's what the hymn has it. To the rock that is higher than I, oh, then to the rock, let me fly to the rock that is higher than I. That rock, I think we know, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The rock was Christ. You don't guess what that is. Now we have here in verse 27, the locusts have no king, yet go they forth all of them by bands. The locusts, it's a creature of destruction. Joel had a great deal to say about the locust plagues. You have it in the book of Revelation. They're great numbers. They break down trees. They have no leaders. When we were in Palestine, they were having not really what would be called an epidemic of them, but there were quite a few of them. It was not even be called a plague of them, but there were quite a few up around the Sea of Galilee. And I tell you, they were doing a good job of destroying everything in their way. They are a creature of destruction. Now, will you notice here, the locusts have no king. Now, today we have one. Christ is the unseen head of the church. We are warned, Paul said to the Corinthians, for ye are yet carnal, whereas there's among you envying and strife and divisions. Are ye not carnal? You walk as man. And we are today to walk as those that have Christ as our head. That locust, a creature of destruction, can teach us to walk looking to our leader. They have none. Now, we have the fourth here is the spider. In verse 28, it says, The spider taketh hold with her hands and is in king's palaces. Now, this is the gecko in Hebrew. It's actually a little lizard. And Dalich says, The lizard thou canst catch with the hand, and yet it is in king's palaces. Somehow or another, it works its way in to houses, and it has an affinity for fine tapestry, and it has fan-like feet, and they have a sticky substance on it, and exudes an ooze, and it can actually hold a marble walls and the tessellated ceilings of that day. And it speaks of faith, faith that takes hold of the promises of God, of entering into the heavenless, if you please, and lays hold of the fact the Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. I know whom I believe. Persuaded he's able to keep that which he's deposited with me. Being confident of that very thing, he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the days of Jesus Christ. Now we come to the second group. Now we are told, verse 29, there be three things which go well among beasts, and they're comely, and they're going. A lion, and the lion just goes straight ahead, doesn't detour. He's not afraid of the pussycats in the neighborhood. They don't frighten him. And Paul could say, none of these things move me. I think that the curse of the church is pussyfooting preachers and mealy-mouthed deacons. They are the ones. 
It said a crumb that he was a man without fear. They asked him how and why. He said, I've learned to, when you fear God, you have no man to fear. Stonewall Jackson got the name because one day as he was in battle, and he was a wonderful Christian, General Cox looked over at him and said to his men, and they were ready to retreat. He said, look at General Jackson. He's standing like a stone wall. Men of courage, like a lion, the walk of a believer. And then we have a greyhound here, verse 31, a greyhound. And we're not talking about a bus now. This is not the greyhound bus. But the Christian is like a greyhound, but not a bus. That is, he has gird up his loins and to run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith. And then the other one that's mentioned in this verse is a he-goat, a mountain goat. He's a climber. He lives way up in the top of the mountains. May I say to you, this mountain goat reveals the fact that you and I are seated in the heavenlies. We ought to walk worthy of the high calling wherewith we're called. These are great. Now we come to chapter 31, and this is a chapter that I believe was written by Solomon because it says the words of King Lemuel the prophecy that his mother taught him. Now, I believe that Lemuel, because there's no king named that, and the very interesting thing is that you will find that Solomon's real name, the one that God gave him, was Jedidiah. And that means beloved of the Lord. Now, Lemuel means devoted to the Lord, and I think that this was probably the pet name that Bathsheba had for Solomon. I think around the palace you could have heard her calling Lemuel, and that was the pet name. I have a notion that every man listening to me today, you can go back and remember a pet name that your mother had for you, and you'd be almost ashamed to say what it was, but she had a pet name. And so I think this was that. And this is a mother's advice to her son. Make a great Mother's Day sermon. She says, what, my son? In other words, she says, oh, what can I say to you? And she needed to say something because... You see, she saw in this boy Solomon something of the characteristics of his father David. And she knew of the sin of David. I don't think it was her sin. It was David's sin. You remember in the first chapter of Matthew, it says that David begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Her name's not even called. Why? Because it was David's sin. And God's making that very clear. And so she sees that in the life of Solomon, and it was there, of course. And so she gives him words of advice. And she says to him, here, what, my son, what can I say to you? And what the son of my womb? You are my precious boy. And what the son of my vows? I dedicated you to God. Now give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. She knew David. And then verse 4, it's not for kings, O Lemuel, it's not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. And yet today we're told that every day in Washington, this was several years ago, there are 28 cocktail parties by government officials. And that doesn't make any difference whether they're Democrats or Republicans or what have you. They all have this in common. Now it says, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Oh, how tragic it is to have drinking men in high positions. Now, use this, she says, 
for medicine. Give strong drink unto him that's ready to perish. And wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget poverty and remember his misery no more. Open thy mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as are pointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, plead the cause of the poor and needy. O Solomon, be honest and just and fair. Now, she tells him how to pick a wife. Say, this is good advice. This is God's advice. Who can find a virtuous woman? And old Matthew Henry, who, by the way, had a wonderful romance, and yet he's quite dry, and it's almost humorous to hear what he has to say. He says, you know, it is hard to find one. But virtuous here actually means a woman of character, a woman of strength, a woman of real ability. And notice what kind of wife she's to be. She's not to be a little shrinking violet. She's not to be, you know, like Whistler's mother sitting in a rocking chair. Somebody said that Whistler painted another picture of his mother because he came in one day and she was sitting on the floor. And he said to her, Mother, you're off your rocker. And may I say that I think most mothers today, you don't find them sitting in a rocking chair. They are busy. And this is the story of a busy mother. He says here, the heart of her husband to safely trust in her. She's faithful, you see. So that he shall have no need of spoil. That means he'll not ask gain because she'll not spend all of his money. She's a helpmate. You see, God never intended woman to be a servant, a man. She's to be his partner and to be a real partner, the helpmeet. When God made Eve as a helpmeet, God made the other side of it. He was only half a man. He became a complete man with Eve. And now verse 12, she'll do him good, not evil, all the days of her life. A helpmeet, you see. Now she works. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. You don't mind working. And verse 14, she's like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. That means she's looking for bargains. She's willing to spend 25 cents worth of gas to drive across town to save 12 cents and buy an address or something else, you see. Now, verse 15, She riseth also while it's yet night, giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. I tell you, she knows how to keep house. She runs a tight ship. Wonderful mother. She considereth a field and buyeth it with the fruit of her hand, she planteth a vineyard. You know, I don't recall when I was growing up as a boy of ever getting up of a morning and finding my mother in bed. I thought about that just the other day. Now, later on, of course, it's different when she became old. But when I was a boy growing up, I never got up of a morning and found her in bed. She was up. In fact, breakfast is generally ready at that time. Now it says here that she considereth a field. She buy it with the fruit of her hand. She planteth a vineyard. She's a woman that runs the household. She's a woman of ability. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her cannel goeth not out by night. What man's work is from sun to sun, a woman's work is never done. That's the picture here. She layeth her hands to the spindle. Her hands holdeth a distaff. She stretcheth out her hands to the poor, yet she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She's a generous person, you see. How wonderful. She's not afraid of the snow for our household. Why? For a household are clothed with scarlet. My mother kept my pants patched when I was a boy. Now let me drop on down here. 
Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. Verse 25. Now, will you notice? Verse 30. Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. The first thing you'd look for, young man, is to look for a woman that is a Christian, Christian young man. And then I hope you get a good-looking one in the bargain. Nice to have them together like that. And it says, Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. That's the reason I guess they have Mother's Day, but there are a lot of mothers not worthy of the tribute given on Mother's Day. But what a wonderful picture this is. No wonder that this has been a book for young men, and it's good for young ladies also, and it's good for senior citizens. We go next time to the Epistle to the Philippians. May God richly bless you, my beloved. Join us next time for a new study in Philippians. Until then, you can reach us at 1-800-65-BIBLE or ttb.org. Through the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives, found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?